0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life Church Pullman. Reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Good morning, real life. That's not bad. Not bad at all. Hey, and also a great uh, welcome to those of you online. Um, maybe somebody from London. I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe far away. But, uh, hey, as uh, Alex said, my name is Gary Hopkins, and I, by vocation... I am the college director for Young Life at WSU and University of Idaho, and it is a great passion of mine and my wife. Uh, we have been doing Young Life for a long time, but particularly love being connected to the college, seeing the college crowd, and uh, that, that's, our, that's our thing. Uh, also, as Alex mentioned, I am an elder in the, the new Young Life, excuse me, Real Life, ooh, hello, the new uh, Real Life Pullman Church. And I can't tell you how excited I am for where we are as a church right now. As most all of you know, we have just, uh, in the process of buying a building, and uh, I'm excited not because of a building, but I'm excited for what that building represents. That that building is a chance to be much more visible in town. It's gonna be right on Grand Avenue. Um, People will see who we are. More importantly, it's a chance to connect with more people in our community, Uh, and ultimately the hope is be a chance to have more influence, more impact, to be able to introduce and connect people to Jesus uh, more in our community. So that I'm excited about, Uh, but today I get the honor of sharing a message with you, and I'd love to start by praying with you, lift this up, so pray with me if you would. Father, thanks for... uh, what you have in store for the words that you've given me, but more importantly, I pray that you would give life to these words, that it would be personal, that it would be something that each person here may hear differently, but just what they need to hear. So thank you for uh, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, well, we are, uh, just to give a little recap, we are on this journey to God, and I'm assuming that most of you have been kind of on this journey with us, uh, the journey Video keeps getting a little longer. We're a little over halfway. Uh, we're in, uh, uh, I think it's ninth. We're a little past halfway. I think we're in the ninth week of this. Uh, and what is it again? What is this journey to God? Well, three times a year, God asked his people, uh, the Jewish people, to come to Jerusalem during one of the three festivals, uh, to come three times a year. And they would come from really all over. Wherever they lived in Israel, they would all be asked to come to Jerusalem. For some of them, that meant maybe they're walking four or five, maybe even a week, depending on how far out from Jerusalem they are. But I love this picture of people coming and getting closer and getting bigger group, and they're walking the same path, and they're hearing and listening and singing the same songs, these songs of ascent that we're walking through. Um, and I, I love that community. I love that rhythm and ritual that they did. Um, and why did they do it? Well, they did it really for two reasons: to remember to remember who God is, who He was, and who He is in their life, for things that He has already done and things He wants to do, and they did it to celebrate, celebrate how good God is as they walk the path um, so i I think it would be great for us we don 't have a lot of that sense of for a lot of us rhythm and ritual in our lives, and i 'm just kind of discovering the value of that. So I'm hoping that we'll take away from that too. But today we get to kind of join in, take a peek, get a little taste of what that journey looks like each week. And this week, as I said, um, Psalm 128. And when Thad asked me to fill in for him this week, I thought, oh, lots of great titles up there. Perseverance, joy. What's my title? Happiness. (laughs) I mean, not that's a letdown, but happiness is one of those loaded words like, what does that really mean? Um, but I've been thrilled to kind of dig in and see how rich that word can be translated. Um, so that's what we're going to do. Um, if, uh, if we can't define it that well, if we wonder what does happiness really mean? I think we all want it. We've all heard if people ask you, Hey, what do you want in life? If we ask college students, Hey, what do you want to be in three or four years? Well, I just want to be happy. You know, we all have that phrase. Even Barb Barley, back a few years ago. Hey, don't worry, just be happy. Well, thanks, Bob. Great words of wisdom. But um, And as a parent, both as a child of a parent and a parent now with children, it's a common phrase. When they are looking to move on, it's like, well, I just want you to be happy. And that's. Uh, anybody heard that from your parent? Maybe said that to your kids? It's a common phrase. So... I'm excited to kind of dig in and see how the psalmist kind of unpacks that, what that word really means, and I think you'll be delighted to know um, both what it is and how we can experience it. So, uh, Psalm 128, what I'm going to do is read it all the way through first, uh, and I'm going to read it in the message translation, which I don't often do, but in this case, after reading it in that translation, it just... I think it brings it more to life. I think it helps us understand and appreciate what the psalmist is saying. Then I'm going to come back and kind of touch on a few things. So join me, if you will. It should be on your screen in your notes. Uh, they've had a little technical problem here. So if it doesn't pop up for some reason, it's in your notes. So here it is. Um, all you who fear God, how blessed you are. How happily you will walk on his smooth, straight road. You worked hard and deserve all you've got coming. "'Enjoy the blessing, revel in the goodness. "'Your wife will bear children bear children, as a vine bears grapes, "'your household lush as a vineyard, "'the children around your table as fresh and promising "'as young olive shoots. "'Stand,' my favorite verse here, "'stand in awe of God's yes. "'Oh, how he blesses the one who fears God. "'Enjoy the good life in Jerusalem every day of your life. "'Enjoy your grandchildren.'" Peace to Israel. Um, I just, I mean, what a flavor that gives you. Full, rich. I want to kind of focus on three verses if we have them. If we don't, uh, you can just look back. Uh, this is kind of the second, fourth, and uh, a few verses down. But I, I, I want to pull these out because I think it helps define what happiness really can be better translated as. Uh, how happily you walk on his smooth, straight road. I'm going to get to that more later, but there's a connection between happiness and his smooth, straight road. Enjoy the blessing, revel in the goodness, stand in awe of God's yes. The Hebrew word for happy is eshed, E-S-H-E-D, Hebrew word that means state of happiness or blessing. Uh, And I think by reading these verses, you kind of get the feeling that happiness can kind of be defined as Yes, blessing, which I love that verse. That, that helps me. I'd rather be blessed than just happy. Um, but blessing, and I would add fullness, goodness, satisfaction is a word I would throw in there. Um, you know, if somebody asked me, what do you want out of life? I would love to be able to say, yeah, you know, if I, I would love to be blessed by God. I'd love to have a full life, and I really want to be satisfied. I want a life that's satisfying. That I can get my hands around. That I can get excited about. So as we go through this, that's kind of the focus I'm going to be on is, is, is that blessing, fullness, and satisfaction that God wants for us. Not that we somehow earn or obtain, but that's what God's posture to us is. Um, second verse is here that I want to focus on. deals with, oh good, look at that, awesome. Oh great. All you who fear God, how blessed you are. And then toward the bottom of the psalm, it says, oh, how he blesses the one who fears God. It's so good to get a correct understanding of the word fear. Because depending on where you're coming from, that fear could be a negative term. Um, It could mean, oh, am I supposed to fear God? As in, I'm afraid of God? Afraid of what God's going to do to me? Afraid of what I deserve from God? But that's not what the psalmist is saying. I think a better way of looking at fear would be reverence or awe. Recognizing how amazing God is and how grand he is, how far above us he is. It's almost a positional thing. It's like humility. Um, A great illustration of this might be our character Peter in the New Testament. I love this story. I love this picture. I want to paint for you. When Jesus first encounters Peter on the Sea of Galilee, he asked Peter if he can use his boat. He wants to speak to the crowd, a huge crowd. So he gets in the boat, sets out a little ways, and he speaks to the crowd. And he can just kind of tell Peter is in awe of Jesus, what he's saying, and how he's speaking to the crowd. And then at the end, he says, hey, would you set out just a little further? We're going to set your nets down and catch a huge, well, he didn't say he was going to catch a huge bunch of fish, but he said, put your nets down, we're going to go fishing. And Peter kind of argues with him for a minute and said, hey, uh, doing this all night, nothing's there, but I will, hearing you, I will do what you ask. And he goes out, drops their nets, and he gets the largest catch he's ever had, maybe ever will experience. And Peter's response was, no, look at this great bunch of fish. No, he said, he falls on his knees and says, oh, get away from me, for I am a sinful man. He recognizes how... awesome and incredible this Jesus is and he also sees himself, that's not me I don't know if we can ever be connected but he's in that humble position I think the tenor of this those who fear God, those who recognize how amazing God is that fear God in that way that that is the key to blessing, that's the key to God blessing us is knowing more who he is and how he wants to bless us Um, thirdly there's a few verses about family. And Thad unpacked this for those that were here or maybe online saw this last week. So I'm not going to get into that too much. Um, but I will read it real quick. Uh, your wife will bear children as a vine bears grapes. Your household lush as a vineyard. The children around your table as fresh and promising as young olive shoots. And enjoy your grandchildren. Um, <clears throat> well, I've got, we've got a vine with grapes on it and a lot of grapes. Uh, so I don't know if it comes to this culture the way it did to that culture, but it's important to know in that culture, the size of family was just, that was a sign of God's great blessing to you, was the, not only your immediate family, but your extended family. Kind of like a farming family in our culture in some ways, that you would add rooms and you would have more extended family. In this case, in a lot of, Uh, of that culture, you could have 50, 60 people living under one compound uh, that all be together. And that was a sign of God's rich blessing. In our culture, it may be better translated, may you have a healthy family. May you have a family where the relationships are rich. May you experience what family is supposed to be like. Um, Because at the heart of it, God is all about family. Yes, he loves us individually. He loves us deeply. Individually, But it's tied to also who we're connected to. God cares about our family. Just as I care about my family, those ahead of me, those behind me, God cares even more so that there's a connection, there's healthiness, there's fullness in our family life. So just know that's God's heart toward us. Uh, and then finally, uh, this word or this phrase, you have worked hard. And deserve all you've got coming. I don't know about you, but when I first read that, it's like, I'm not sure I want all I've got coming. I think we get this mindset that, you know, we're not, we'll never be really good enough. We'll never, I'm always going to fall short. And I don't know if I want what I've got coming. Because I'm always straying. But that's not God's perspective of us. We need a new perspective. We need to see God the way he sees us. And so I'm going to read two verses that I think define what we've got coming in a different way. Uh, John 10.10, Jesus said this. I love this, use it a lot. John 10.10, the thief comes to rob, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life to the full. That's God's desire to give us. He says, that's why I came. Not only that you may have life, not that you may be alive but your life would be full um, be rich that's his desire for us uh, I'd love to have us embrace that idea more that I'm not enough for God uh, and also Matthew eleven thirty, Jesus says these words come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden or burdened and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me I am gentle humble in spirit, you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You know, if you feel like you're carrying a burden in this relationship, if you're kind of feeling like, I'm working hard at this, I would suggest maybe we need a different perspective, a different focus on how to have that full life. It's not something we work at. It's something we enjoy by being in the right place. Um, That's something I want to Focus on it as we move forward here. Uh, in some ways, it's we have this mindset. It's not a cause and effect kind of gospel the way. I kind of grew up thinking, "Hey, if I'm good, God'll be good to me. If I'm bad, not going to be so good to me. Maybe He's going to punish me. Maybe it's going to be I'm not going to experience good things." And that is not God's perspective. That is not the way God looks at us. One of my favorite verses. I think I first got a hold of this in college. It's actually Psalm 103, my favorite Old Testament little psalms. This is how God looks at us. This is how God treats us. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins. He heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. As high as the heaven, or the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those, and there it is again, who fear him, who are humble, that recognize me for who I am. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Not only does he not treat us according to our shortcomings, our sins, but he's removed them as far as the east is from the west. How I wish we could embrace that more than how we fall short. Um, I read this um, in my devotional, love, I think two days ago, and it was so on point, I just had to read it again. I don't even know, it was just a prayer. It was just in my devotional. It said, Jesus, you have been better to me than I've been to myself. Jesus, you've been better to me than I've been to myself. Oh, what a great line. I wish we would hang on to that picture. He is better to us than we are to ourselves. We beat ourselves up so easily, so often. And we measure ourselves by our performance way too much um, so what's the secret how do we experience richness, fullness, blessing satisfaction how does that happen well Jesus again probably the best source to go to Jesus says uh, in John 15 to 5 paints a great picture of what that looks like John 15 to 5 says I am the vine, my father is the gardener. He cuts off branches in me that bear no fruit, while every branch that bears fruit he prunes, so it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I don't know if you caught it. Pretty, pretty, right out there. Remain in me. He says it four times. Actually, he said it five times. Once he talked about him remaining in us. The picture there is connection. Remain, stay connected. That's the picture of, that's, that's the way we are in a place where we can receive all that God wants for us. Stay connected. Remain in me. I love that. Um, in essence, position is so much more important than performance. Stick with me. It's not only our number one job, it's really, I would say, our only job. If you're looking at what do I do to really experience this relationship? Remain in Him. Stick to Him. Stick with Him. You know, Judy and I—we uh, have a in our house. We've got a arbor with a bunch of vines, grapes, and we have an apple tree out front. They were very productive this year. Pruned down the the grapevines and pruned the apple tree, and boy, whew, we had so much of both. But I will tell you this: I never once saw either the grapevines or the apples sweating. Uh, working hard to produce fruit. Um, the secret is just, if it's connected, if you create the right environment, uh, it'll flourish. Uh, and I believe the same is true with us. Again, the uh, in the book, long obedience in the same direction. I don't know if any of you have heard of it. It's a book I read a number of years ago, but I've been rereading a little bit. It is kind of a book that walks through these 15 psalms. Kind of the author walks through this journey. If you're interested, it's a great book to read. Um, But in that book, he says this about that. He says, Blessings come not as a matter of striving, but of surrender. (laughs) I love that. Blessings come not as a matter of striving or working to get blessing, it comes a matter of surrender, connecting, be on his path. I think that's another way of looking at what it means to connect to remain is to be on the path the path with God is the blessing it is the fullness of life that is the key Um, he also said fruit is born not out of effort but out of acceptance love that so good so true well what does it look like what does it mean to stay connected what does it mean to remain what do I have to do it's a relationship. I mean, it's, it's not complicated. It simply means build a relationship, spend time. That's what it means. Not things you do for God, just be connected to him. Um, may mean reading his word. Because his word is not a textbook. The word is not great sayings. The word is living and active. It's, a, it's Jesus communicating to us. It's God interacting with us. That's how we build the relationship. In prayer, we simply tell God what we're thinking. We simply build that relationship. When Judy and I met, it didn't take long for me to say that's a relationship I want to develop. And uh, what do you do? I spent time—probably way too much time—hanging out with Judy. But that's what it took. You know, it's not like I'm going to perform for her. It's not like I'm going to do a bunch of things to impress her. Spend time, build the relationship. It's the same way with with God. Um, well, things go wrong at times when we divert from the path. Uh, I would say, and for me, this this is me in college, particularly. I came to college and I had my own path. You know, I said yes to God, but my interpretation was, "Hey, I've got this idea of what I want to do with my life. I would love you, God, to come along and bless my life, my path." I'm going this way. This is my dream in my life. And God says, but the blessing's on my path. And that's the battle we kind of fight sometimes. We go wrong by thinking we want God to bless our path. I've got three analogies, three little things, hoping uh, I pick three because hopefully one will land. Um, But I picked this first one. It's actually, uh, how many out there, I can't see the audience, but how many out there are familiar with Star Trek? Any Star Trek fans out there? A few. Well, I'm using this analogy because Emma, our one of our housemates, uh, is a fanatic uh, about Star Trek. Actually, her dad was, and she picked that up from her dad. But So I've uh, watched a few of the old episodes. I watched every one when I was a kid growing up. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, I've watched a number of them with her. And what the analogy that came to mind is there's this one iconic scene in Star Trek, happens often, and it's not very creative. It's like 50 years old. You know, they didn't do a lot of creative stuff. But it's this one frame, one camera shot of the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. You know, several times during each episode, you see the same shot. And in the middle of the room is the chair. That's Captain Kirk's chair. That's everything's good when Captain Kirk is in his chair. And there's a who up there, the communication gal. There's. Uh, yeah, Sulu over here. I think he's navigation guy. Check off a camera what he does. But anyway, lots of times there's an elevator in the back. Kirk would come in, usually, usually very uh, distinguished looking. But he'd take his seat in the chair. It's like he knew everything was going to work out. Captain's in the chair. Well, how weird would it be if Captain Kirk came through the doors, comes to go sit in his chair, and you're in it? Uh, <clears throat> Captain's chair. Well, excuse me. Uh, yes, Captain Kirk. Um, I I thought it'd be great if you would take the navigator chair. Would you just take Sulu's spot here? Because I've got plans for this ship. I'm going to take this from here. But I would love you to be right with me. I want you to navigate my trip for me. Um, that's kind of what it feels like when we see God as more of our advisor. Our guide more as our navigator than our captain. Um, The second analogy that I want to use, illustration, comes from one of my favorite characters, Abraham Lincoln. And he said this um, during the Civil War, it was just after the Battle of Gettysburg. They'd won that battle and probably turned the tide of the whole war. Reporters gathered around, and one of the reporters says, Yes, President Lincoln, you've just won maybe the most important battle of the war. It looks like the Union might just prevail. But I've got a question. We know that there are lots of people in the South, in the Confederacy, and in the North that all say that God is on their side. How do you know that God is on your side? <laughs> Great question. I love this. Abraham Lincoln didn't hesitate. Just said, you have asked the wrong question. The question isn't whether God's on my side. The question is whether I'm on God's side. Because when we're on God's side, things work out. We can trust the outcome when we're on God's side. But we spend a lot of time trying to defend that God's on our side, that God is about my political candidate, God's about my social cause. Um, But if we spend more time being connected to him and being on his side, we would have clarity about how we live that out. Um, So, thirdly, uh, this is a personal analogy, personal metaphor. Um, I'm involved in Young Life and there are some of you here that have gone to camp in Young Life, one of our premier camps up in Canada called Malibu Club. It's about 80 miles north of Vancouver. Beautiful situation. Can't get there except by seaplane or boat. And uh, unbelievable scenery camp. But they also have this program called Beyond Malibu. That's where you get a chance to take eight or nine friends or strangers, whatever, but you go on a hiking trip, and it's a seven-day, a week-long hiking trip above the camp. Almost all the trips start right there at sea level at base camp, and uh, you go through the woods up into the snow in, in the middle of August. You've got glaciers up there year-round, and it is unbelievably beautiful to be in the rugged, it's very steep, a lot of virgin forest that you climb through and you're on the glaciers and you're looking a hundred miles either direction. I've done that trip seven times. I would never have ever even attempted it had it not been for the fact that it part of the program is, hey, we give you a guide. Usually two guides. Sometimes three, depending on the size of your group. The guide knows everything to do. You can trust the guide. The guide knows where they're going. they done this route that you'll be on before. They have to, to to be your guide. They know what equipment to take. They know what not to take. They know how to get out of danger. They know how to find where you're going. Just trust the guide. Um, It was difficult, I must admit, at first, because I'm one of those guys that likes to know what time it is, when we're going to stop, how long we're going to go. None of that was an option. They get you together the night before the trip and they, you got all your stuff you brought, thinking you needed all this stuff for this trip that you put into a pack about this big. <laughs> yeah, that, you can't take that. You can't take that. You got one pair of underwear. You get, what? Some bad news in there. And oh, by the way, you can't wear a watch because you don't need to know what time it is. Um, I mean, it was a, it was awkward for the first day as we kept saying, "Well, how long are we walking? Can we stop for?" Yeah, we'll uh, we'll stop when we're uh, we're done with this part of the day, or we'll eat when we're done hiking, um, but after a day or two, you just kind of relaxed, and you realized, I don't have to worry about the details, I just have to follow the direction of the guide, um, and it has been, I've done that seven times, and it's been an amazing trip, I would never have survived one of those trips if I went up there by myself. Um, I think it's a great analogy for, for our connection to God, is he our guide, or is he our advisor? Um, Do we trust, and maybe this is the most important question of the morning, do we really trust that God has our best in mind, that God knows what he's doing, that he wants to bless my life, maybe in ways that more so than I even know about? Um, Because I, I believe if we knew that, if we really believed that God had our best in mind, we would happily walk his smooth, straight road. We would say, yeah, guide me through this. Easy to do on beyond because it's clear. No way I can do this without you. I would invite us to think the same way when it comes to our relationship with him, about our life journey with him. Hey, there's no way I can do this. There's no way I can get out of this journey what I want without being connected to you as my guide. I'm going to let you lead the way. Um... In that same book, second little quote I wanted to use, says, uh, this may sound odd at first reading, the easiest thing in the world is to be a Christian. Being a Christian is what we were created for. I don't know about you, is it, is it the easiest thing in the world to be a Christian? I think if we really trust him with our life, we really believe he's got our best in mind, then it is the easiest thing in the world to do. On beyond, it became really easy. (laughs) Get up in the morning, hey, well, follow the lad. This is going to be an awesome day. I have no idea what's ahead, but this is going to be awesome because the guide knows what they're doing. Um, It's a question uh, I get all the time from college students about their future, sometimes a relationship, my job ahead, or just how do I know how to make the right decision? And there's this one psalm that, again, I got blessed with in college. It's uh, been one of my favorites. Psalm 37.4. And I love this promise. It is just that. It's a promise. It says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Isn't that what we all want? To be able to take delight or maybe better uh, have the desires of our heart. Wouldn't that be awesome? And he says the key to that is just Stay connected. Be on my path. Trust me. Take the light in me to know that I've got you. And I want the best for you. I'm not holding out. I'm not holding back. Um, Stay on the path. So when a college student will come to me and ask about a major decision they've got, I only ask them one question. (laughs) I don't know what their their question is, but I only ask them one question. Do you trust that God has your best in mind? Are you willing to do what God chose you to do? And if they can say yes to that, I'd, I'd say, do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. You'll, you can't go wrong. You can't make a mistake even if you make a mistake. I think it's that awesome to be able to say to a college student, hey, do what you're passionate about if you're in the right place. If, you're, if you trust that God's got your best, then do whatever your heart tells you to do because you're in the right place love that. Um, well, finally, I want to kind of settle with this little thing. What if, what if I'm not on the path? What if I've never even been on the path? Or what if I've been on the path and I've really taken some severe turns? Um, what do I do then? And I would say what not to do don't work to get back to the path. Don't miss a better hope for that. One is in the Old Testament, David. David, who may be the most revered character in the Old Testament. A man after God's own heart. That's how the Bible describes him. A man after God's own heart. And he was an amazing guy. Now he's got a problem because now he has to cover this up because he finds out her husband, Uriah, a foreigner, a Hittite, not even a Jewish man, is out in battle, been there for months. So if she shows... Being pregnant after a couple more months, this is going to, not good. So he needs to cover it up. So he invites Uriah back to town. Says, hey, Uriah. Gives him an update. I don't know what the ruse was, but he says, hey, go sleep with your wife. Be with your wife. I'm giving you a reward. And Uriah, the foreigner, had more integrity than David. Said, I could never do that. While my men are out in battle, I can't enjoy being home with my wife. And he sleeps outside his own house because he won't do that. David gets frustrated. The next night he gets him drunk, hoping that'll do it. It didn't work. Uriah stayed outside. So the next day, David gives him orders that he carried himself back to the front, telling his commander, advance on the enemy with Uriah in front and then withdraw. David's basically murdering Uriah to cover up his own thing. About a year, it looks like, as you read it, the story, it takes a year for David to even be confronted with what he's done. And when God confronts him, David says, Oh, what have I done? I've sinned against you. I've denied myself all that I want. The most important thing. And he reconnects to God. God continues to bless his life. You can't shortcut, shortchange. You can't deny what God wants to do in your life because of your missteps. He paid a price, yes, but God didn't disqualify him from his blessings. Second figure, maybe even more appropriate, it is to me, is Peter. Peter, who was Jesus' number one right-hand man, the first one that declared who Jesus was. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And Jesus said, "You're going to lead my church. You're going to be one that does this when I'm gone." And then uh, he is just passionate about following Jesus until the last night that they're together. And Jesus tells all of them, "You're all going to fall away from me. You're all going to leave the path. You're all going to fade away." And Peter says, "Not me, God, not me. I'm your man." I'm on the path, we're we're together. And Jesus says, no, by by tomorrow morning you're going to deny me three times. I'm sure Peter thought there's no chance. Maybe seven hours, eight hours later he's in a courtyard, a campfire. And he's already denied Jesus twice and then finally this little girl asks him, "Aren't aren't you one of those Galileans? Aren't you one that knows Jesus? And the way the Bible phrases it the terminology in the Hebrew would probably sound something like this. Damn me to hell if I even know that man. He brought a curse down on himself. Imagine being Peter in that moment, saying that about Jesus. And immediately hears a rooster crow and his eyes immediately lock on Jesus inside the house, in the trial. And he fades away. I'm sure at that point he thought, game over. I'm done. There is no getting back from that one. And even when Jesus first rose, Peter was kind of in the background. And then a week later when Jesus appears again, he walks the beach with Peter and he asks him one question. Only one question. Didn't say, why did you do that? How did you do that? How could you do that? He said, do you love me? Do you still love me, Peter? That was his only question. Peter said, yes, three times he asked him. And then Jesus said, well, let's go. I've got work for you to do. I've got blessings to do in your life. Revel in my goodness. I would say the same to each one of you that may be feeling like I've, I'm not on the path or I've left the path. Or, he only has one question for you. Will you trust me? Do you love me? Then let's go. Because I don't want to bless your life. We've got stuff to do. Get ready. This is going to be an awesome ride. Well, we're going to move to a time of communion. So while you're preparing your communion things, I should have done this earlier, um, I've got four questions for you. And I, I would invite you to really look at this outside of this morning, even outside today, maybe in your home group, maybe with a friend, somebody you love, and just kind of walk through this. I think this is a great exercise. I've had to do this in kind of preparing for this, and it's been really good for me. But here are the four questions I would ask you to consider. Number one, what road are we traveling? What road are you traveling, mine or his? Is he my advisor or is he my guide? Where do I stand on this path with God? Secondly, what do you depend on to make you happy? What are you hoping it will take to bless your life? What are you depending on to have that richness, satisfaction, blessing that you want? Third, do I really trust that he has my best in mind? Do I really believe that? Do I really believe that he wants even more for my life than I could hope for or even imagine? And then finally, who can I walk this path with to remind me of his goodness? To revel in his yes, to walk the path with. So, love to have us think about that as we turn to communion. Um, and I, I love this picture because this is one of those things that God asks us to do—you uh, know—a rhythm and a ritual, but more importantly, to remember and to celebrate who He is. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, He took the bread broke it and blessed it and said this is my body broken for you do this in remembrance of me let's take it the same way after supper Jesus took the cup said this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins again do this often to remember me to celebrate who I am for you Let's drink the cup. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Um, Thank you that you're you're a God who goes out of his way to bless us, that wants more for us than we even want for ourselves. It's better to us than we are to ourselves. Pray that we would remain, that we would just focus on attaching to you, that we would enjoy and revel in your yes as we walk the path Thanks for our friends. Thanks for those that surround us that we get the chance to take this journey with. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week.